Welcome to another edition of the 1% Better Podcast with your host, Rob O'Donoghue. Hey folks, welcome to this bonus episode of 1% Better. It's not really 1% Better, it is me being interviewed by my friend and fellow podcaster and leadership expert John Eads for his show called Follow My Lead. We did this a few weeks back and it went out on his platform or channel and he gave me the go-ahead to put it out on my own because I'm sure not everybody listens to his or mine. And I just said I'd share it. It's something a little bit different. It's John asking me questions that I haven't probably been asked before or shared in a podcast, and I was delighted to do so. John's show has been running for a number of years. He's has shorter seasons, a lot more episodes, a lot probably more uh, downloads over the course of that period of time, and it was a great opportunity for me to talk a bit about the areas of emotional intelligence, self-awareness, coaching, things like that, that came up that John put to me and inspiration, I suppose, that I've had over the years. So that is pretty much the preamble. I said I'd keep it short, but do, if you enjoy this episode with John, check out his own podcast, Follow My Lead, if you're into leadership. He has literally written the book on leadership just recently called Building the Best. It's on his website. There's a link in the show notes. Learnloft.com is his company. And yeah, really good guy. Hopefully you'll enjoy this 1%. Uh, the topic of 1% comes up in John's intro as well. And hopefully you enjoy this short one. That's a little bonus episode. And as I'm releasing this around the holiday period, a few more episodes to come over this period and into January. Why not? Hopefully you have more time to check them out. So there you go. Enjoy this one. And thanks for listening as always. Good luck. Welcome to season 23 of the Follow My Lead podcast, where each week I bring you stories and best practices of today's leaders to help you on your leadership journey. My name is John Eads. Here we go. Welcome back. Season 23, moving right along. Another week to learn and grow and develop and get better. And that's exactly what we do this week with my friend Rob O'Donohue. Before we get there, a huge thank you to everybody who made Building the Best an Amazon number one bestseller. I mean, I'm, I'm smiling as I say it. Uh, it was a number one new release in both human resources and in management and so I am just so thankful if you help make that possible from the bottom of my heart. Thank you. It is just a, a real humbling thought. And then the second part of that is when you write something like this and you put so much time, energy and effort into it, you want it to get into people's hands because you know how much it can impact the way that they lead. And so if you've taken that step, if you've bought the book on Amazon more power to you, man. Go lead better today because of it. And I hope you'll use that resource. If you have purchased it and you've got through it, I want to hear how you like it. Share your feedback on Amazon review. It would mean the world to me if you did that. Or you can send an email to info at learnloft.com. Both of those places, I will see it. It would mean the world to me if you would take the time to do that. Now, 
This week's episode is with a good friend of mine uh, named Rob O'Donohue. And Rob uh, is a director and a leadership coach at Dell in Europe. He's an, an Irish fella. And he's got a podcast called The 1% Better Podcast. And I've been on it a couple of times. But it sparked an idea that I had. Uh, there's a story in one of my very favorite books called Atomic Habits. Uh, the book is by James Clear. It's a phenomenal book. Uh, I highly recommend you go get it. But I wanted to start with this story. The fate of British cycling changed one day in 2003. The organization, which was governing body for professional cycling in Great Britain, had recently hired Dave Brailsford as its new performance director. At the time, professional cyclists in Great Britain had endured nearly 100 years of mediocrity. Since 1908, British riders had won just a single gold medal at the Olympic Games, and they had fared even worse in cycling's biggest race, the Tour de France. In 110 years, no British cyclist had ever won the event. In fact, the performance of the British riders had been so underwhelming that one of the top bike manufacturers in Europe refused to sell bikes to the team because they were afraid they would hurt sales if other professionals saw the Brits using their gear. Brailsford had been hired to put British cycling on a new trajectory. What made him different from previous coaches was his relentless commitment to a strategy that he referred to as the aggregation of marginal gains, which was the philosophy of searching for a tiny margin of improvement in everything that you do. Brailsford said, the whole principle came from the idea that if you broke down everything you could think of that goes into riding a bike and then improve it by 1%, you will get significant increase when you put it all together. Brailsford and his coaches began by making small adjustments you might expect from a professional cycling team. And they kept going and making small adjustments over and over over the next five years. Just five years after Brailsford took over, the British cycling team dominated the road and track cycling events at the 2008 Olympic Games in Beijing, where they won an astounding 60% of the gold medals available. Four years later, when the Olympic Games came to London, the Brits raised the bar as they set nine Olympic records and seven world records. During a 10-year span from 2007 to 2017, the British cyclists won 178 world championships and 66 Olympic or Paralympic gold medals and captured five Tour de France victories in what is widely regarded as the most successful run in cycling history. The reason that this happened was because of the aggregation of marginal gains. And what I want you to think about as you listen to this episode with Rob O'Donohue is how can you get 1% better in all of the key areas of leadership? How can you get 1% better with the relationships with your team members? How can you get 1% better with building trust with each one of those team members? How can you get 1% better in the environment that you create for your team, with the culture that's created? How can you get 1% better with the 
clarity of the standards that are set and 1% better in how you hold people accountable, you get the idea. Take this concept of 1% better and apply it to the way that you lead. And then you're going to learn some incredible things from Rob about one, where this idea came from, this 1% better mindset came from, why he and how he coaches better, how you can coach better, get 1% better there. And then Another area of leadership, which is emotional intelligence and how you can improve in that area. So without further ado, keep that mindset of 1% better each and every day. And here is my fantastic conversation with my friend, Rob O'Donohue. Well, Rob, welcome to the show. John, delighted, genuinely delighted to be chatting to you. Um, Honored to be on your show. Especially considering you've been on mine a couple of times, to be on yours now means means a lot to me. So thank you. I wanted to go here because you mentioned the name of the podcast, One Percent Better, and one of my favorite concepts, one of my favorite stories to tell, Rob, is of David Brailsford and the the whole concept of marginal gains. Mm-hmm. Was he your inspiration for One Percent Better, or what was? No, he wasn't, and uh, and like unless it was subconscious, right? I remember at the time, kind of, I knew the theme, I knew what I was trying to do in the podcast, personal, professional development, learning. I didn't even have a name for the show uh, after maybe the five or six, first five or six episodes I recorded, even though I wasn't releasing them yet. And it was just over some conversations that I was looking to try and figure out what can I call it to just make it that, you know, something small that you're just making improvements. And I don't know if I said it or somebody friendly to me mentioned just small gains and 1% better. And just that landed. And honestly, it was really only afterwards that I kind of did a bit of research and saw that obviously it's not a unique concept. It's not, I don't have a trademark on 1% better, but it just seemed to fit um, with what I was trying to do. And like, like a lot of things, John, when you're searching for a name of a company or a show or whatever, it can take a long time to land on one that you just feel hits the nail on the head. And it, it, for me just kind of said, yeah, that's kind of what it's about. And now, even though I know, you know, there's a lot of other podcasts out there called 1% better or the 1% show or all these different variants. That's fine. Like I, you know, I'm not, I don't consider it competition or whatever. Yeah. It, it, to me, it's my view of how to improve and that's it. And what I love about it is that whether you know, you've listened to your show or not, that idea of the aggregation of marginal gains and getting 1% better. It's such a, it's such a fantastic view on life. Mm -hmm. I mean, in, we're just trying to get a little bit better every single day. We don't have to make massive jumps, but if we can just get 1% better in this area over a year, over two years, over three years, it's going to add up to something great. And I think it's just a powerful, um, almost like, mindset on life and i just love it and i'm glad you chose it i'm glad mm-hmm. david Brailsford exists and i love the idea of marginal gains because i think everybody listening to this if they take that perspective it will change their life and mm-hmm. i just love that you mentioned coaching you've done a lot of coaching in your career and your and in your life um obviously many of the people that listen to this are leaders of teams or are, are a leader in their company what role does a leader play in being a coach mm. yeah I, I i you know thinking about 
the role a leader has so many different hats right so many different roles i would say anyone who thinks that a leader shouldn't play the role of a coach in this kind of modern era of you know being a coach a friend a confidant whatever you might call it they're they're old school and i think that that's you know not the way to be thinking i think a leader has to absolutely coach directly understand listen like coaching for me the fundamentals that are there is is listening questioning challenging and creating action plans and being deliberate on how to get the person from one point to another and that absolutely should fall within the realm of leadership because you know you're 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 obviously going to have better performance better collective uh, results as a result of coaching your individual team members to that successful point as well and i think the 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 one point that keeps coming up for me recently is this blurring of professional development and personal development and as a coach you should be taking it as a leader that that coaches you should be taking that interest in the person as well as the professional that you're working with because that in this kind of environment that we're living in where people are more stressed than ever are more disconnected don't have that sense of purpose or meaning in the work they're doing when your leader asks you how are you doing this is an area that maybe could be developed let's work on it together let's set ourselves some targets and goals that's a powerful you know how many times has a has your boss or your leader ever asked you how can i help you get to where you want to go and say hey i also know that in this day and age you may not be with this company forever that's okay like for as long as you're here let's work really hard but these are skills and development competencies that you can use in, in other roles as well so probably a roundabout answer i think there uh, there's a symbiosis between a coach and a leader you know there's there's huge value in being both and i think they're definitely um very much interlinked well, I want to, I couldn't agree with you more. Uh, I think you're spot on. And I love the idea of bunning the personal and the professional because we don't even have two different lives anymore. I mean, the phones in our pockets and how mm. connected we are. It's, that's just, it's almost a myth at this point of work-life balance. Uh, doesn't mean both aren't important, uh, but I think it's interesting. The two places I want to go, and I, I'm, uh, you're a much better interviewer than me, so I'm not sure how I'm going to navigate this. But I will say that I want to I want to touch on one. I think you ask phenomenal questions, and you just mentioned one of the key things that a, a leader slash coach needs to do is to ask really good questions. Do you have any go to questions that every one of our audience members should be armed with? to be a better coach because sometimes just giving them the playbook is better than telling them, go be a coach. What are some mm-hmm. great coaching questions you like to ask? Yeah, sure. So one of the coaches I had a while back mentioned to me at the time is, is try not to ask why questions to your clients or coaches because why can instantly put the person on a bit of a defensive and make them feel under pressure to, give a response so you're almost like point pointing the finger for whatever reason so how and what questions are are the most important because they're really opening up the person to new possibilities new options to look at things potentially differently so i always try to keep that in mind and even when i do interviews with and listen back to podcasts sometimes i'm 
you know, you're in flow and I say, wow, did I ask why or how or what questions there? And thankfully, most of the time, I, I don't hear why. So that's kind of ingrained in me at the moment. Um, I think, you know, it depends on the, the circumstance you're coaching the person in. If you're coaching somebody that, that has ha- having a blocker or, or, or thinking about a career change or, or where they, you know, where they want to go next. It's all, I, I like asking the kind of questions of, you know, when were you or, or what were you doing when you were at your most joyous or happy, you know, and, and it's on, on anything, like it doesn't necessarily have to be in work and you're kind of tapping into kind of memories and looking back in, in time a little bit and it's kind of then picking out what were you doing, what are, and then maybe kind of extracting some values from the activities you were doing at the time. So was it, oh, the, the you know, what, when I think back, what was the thing I was doing? It was you know, playing football with my friends. So I love playing with a group of people. I love spending time with others in a social environment. You know, we were winning the match, so there was a competitive edge in there. So there are certain kind of keywords maybe that comes out as you kind of dig into that story that that person is is telling them, you know. And a lot of the times that's kind of looking back. Sometimes they say don't look back in coaching, kind of look a little bit more forward. In a forward-looking question, a simple thing is, you know, what what is your dream role and a lot of the times people don't even like to say that out loud or they do and they laugh because like oh that's silly like i know i'm never going to reach it or whatever but that just brings up the kind of idea of this limiting beliefs that we're putting kind of a lid or or, or just preventing ourselves to go to places that we for no reason shouldn't allow ourselves to go to you know so creating that what your dream role is and then kind of digging into it because a lot of time when person when you dig into it when you dig into it with them and start just kind of peeling it back a little bit it doesn't seem as ludicrous or, or crazy as you know it might sound in their own head uh, and again maybe that's within your own head within the internal voice kind of telling you no don't say that out loud that's going to sound crazy you know so maybe that's too looking a little bit back and looking a little bit forward I love it. I think, I think they're simple, but effective questions. Uh, the second part that I wanted to touch on is you mentioned some competencies and things that you want to develop. And I think you've studied one competency specifically uh, around soft skills that I, it's just become so important today. It comes up in almost every conversation we have, which is how can our people be more emotionally intelligent? Mm-hmm. You've yeah. studied this. You've looked at this in great depth and detail. Why emotional intelligence is so important. And most importantly, how do you go develop it? How do you define emotional intelligence? And is it as important as we think it is? Hmm. Yeah. Recently, I've put together probably the, the, the deepest dived article that I've ever done. I haven't published it yet. I'm actually kind of looking at it here. I'm close to, to releasing it. For me, the whole area of emotional intelligence is is fascinating. And even though it's been around for like 25 or so years, I think it was 95 when Goldman um, released emotional intelligence, the first version of that. It's only in the last few years, I think now with you know neuroscience and a bit more science behind it, that people are beginning to realize, okay, this has a bit more staying power as a framework. It's actually proven to be successful and beneficial to people in their day-to-day lives and and, and work and and outside of it. Um, I will get to the definition in a second, but just an example I wanted to share, and I think I heard it on another podcast, so I I tested it out recently in a 
a, a coaching class where I was training or doing a kind of a two-hour coaching session on emotional intelligence with 25 emerging IT leaders for Dell. I was in Austin, and these leaders were from all over, like some from India, from the US, from, from Ireland. Um, and the question I asked at the start was, how many, hands up, how many of you were valedictorian or highest rank in your high school? Um, and, and Irish people don't have valedictorian. It's just top of the class sort of thing. So I guess yeah. it's, it's the highest scores or highest points yeah, you would get. Yeah, top of the class. How many? Yeah. So out of, out of the 25, how many put their hand up? Zero. Just one. It's oh, pretty good. So, so, but, but, what, what I kind of dug into there was valedictorian and that, that sort of highest. That's kind of a score of IQ. You're you're kind of scoring the person's highest IQ level, and that's kind of what gets you into secondary or into university or whatever. It doesn't measure EQ, but it's interesting. Out of the twenty-five, and only one had that highest IQ in the class. The other twenty-four are considered emerging leaders in a multinational organization. And for me, that kind of correlates with a lot of the proof that EQ and leadership are very closely aligned. So high performance at leadership level and emotional intelligence are are connected. So the data proved that, and that kind of little example helped me kind of reassure, reconfirm what, what I believed. Emotional intelligence, it's a framework, it's a model, there's multiple competencies under it. I believe and my kind of definition is loose in that it, it's just being very aware, cognizant, and understanding of what, you, what, what feelings are going on inside for, of you at any one time. And also then being able to tune into the feelings of others around you. And if you practice techniques of self-awareness, and I know meditation and mindfulness is kind of buzzwordy and stuff like that at the moment, journaling is very very useful just scribbling down stuff that's going on inside your head and getting it out on paper that can help massively with really kind of getting a good sense of what is really truthful and what you know what are these emotions that are going on inside me when i put them on paper does it feel any different that you know that's a kind of a practical uh, tool that that people can use one i really like that mightn't be that well known or isn't used that much but can be used a lot in in helping team members in your, say your leadership team, break down the barriers and get closer together, build trust is this concept or, or tool of a Johari window. Have you heard of the Johari window? I have not. It's, it's very good. The, it's made by two gentlemen. One is called Joe and the other is Harry. So that's why they call it Johari window. So it's a four quadrant kind of square. Um, and it's basically up, it's kind of known to self and, and known to others or not known to self and not known to others. And ultimately, it's, it's the, the real gold or the real juice is in the top right quadrant, which is the blind spot. So that's the part where I don't see, but you, John, see about me. So in a kind of a, a one-to-one private get-to-know-yourself-better session with your coworker, you can do the Johari window. So I could say in my top left section, I'm Rob, I do a podcast but in the top right section, John would put in there, Rob, you talk too much or, or you know, you can, you can kind of identify certain things that we're just not aware of ourselves that can highlight um, through those conversations. Thus, thus you, increasing the emotional intelligence. 
it's, it's increasing your self-awareness and self-awareness for me is one of the fundamental kind of bedrocks of emotional intelligence. From there, if you're more self-aware, you have a better sense of who you are. You can then start tuning into other people. Um, and that's where the kind of relationship building can come in another domain of emotional intelligence. And then I guess the third or kind of other main area is around social and community and how people can work together in a social environment, kind of social intelligence as well. So, um, yeah, I could talk for, for a good well, it's while. It's fascinating uh, stuff. And I, um, I've, I've, I love the definition. The one that comes top of mind to me is getting your emotions to work for you mm-hmm. instead of against you. And, mm-hmm. and I, and I, I've battled this a lot as a parent where, you know, there's nothing wrong with being emotional. We have emotions. We're human. It's one of the things that makes us unique, Mm -hmm. but can you get those emotions that you're going to have? Some are more emotional than others, of course, but can you get them to benefit you and the people around you? Or we've all been around the person that are, is completely unaware of those emotions and it, and it causes strife and struggle. And, you know, and that's where I think, talking about it from a professional perspective, can you get those emotions that you're going to experience and all those levels that you just talked about to work for you instead of against you? And, and that can take a lifetime to get better at, can it? Mm -hmm. Absolutely. It's, it can probably take a lifetime and it, it's not like, you know, it's not like a skill that you can like playing tennis, you know, it's not like if you don't keep doing it, it's, it's going to probably regress, you know? So if you stop practicing self-awareness in a couple of years time, you, you know, you might go backwards a little bit. So it's like going to the gym, the whole concept, you know, the metaphor of a muscle and kind of building that up. There's no perfection. There's no end game. It's just an ongoing development, but, but it's hugely beneficial for yourself and the relationship at work or, or, or your loved ones or, or whatever, you know, and, you know, I've noticed even the odd time if, you know, we have a, a conversation that isn't, um, the, the most productive nowadays I might just go for a walk and five minutes later I come back and I'm in a clearer space before I wouldn't have had the the kind of awareness to say right just go for the walk it would have been just straight into the kind Excellent. of pointless you know bickering or whatever well it's great it's it's really informative stuff I can't wait to read the article you gotta have the courage to publish it let's do it oh yeah definitely <laughs> ready to okay, go let's end on some fun stuff you um okay. who's one person in your life that's made a tremendous impact on you that you don't give enough credit to? Oh, difficult. Um, well, I guess my grandfather is the one person I suppose I, uh, he's passed away, but he, he would have been a huge influence on me growing up. Um, and I suppose when, when I was growing up, I was very, you know, very close to him, uh, probably didn't give him enough, uh, credit for that. Now that I reflect back, uh, one of my core values is hard work. And I think that, you know, that's part of putting the effort in, in the side hustle. And I, I definitely took that value from him as I was growing up. I could see him working like crazy long hours. He worked out on, on the land, like not a farmer, but kind of in a bog area, like Irish type thing. And, uh, you know, he had six kids and had to, to you know, fend for, for all of them and tough life, but he just did it, never complained. And, you know, I can't see the, you know, it wasn't as if he had lots of um, fun outside of, of, of work, of that, apart from, yeah. you know, so he didn't have, he didn't have a, a, you know, he wasn't playing golf or he wasn't off at the weekends. He was just a committed right. family man and yeah, and a quiet man. So I think 
I take a lot of um, inspiration from him and I definitely love talking about him to kind of give that credit back in, you know, in some ways. I love it. Uh, you get to give our audience one piece of advice today. What would that one piece of advice be? Mm. I don't want to sound cliche because, you know, you hear a lot of cliches coming out on, on that sort of, uh, what sort of advice would it be? Um, but, but through coaching, through talking to people, through even interviews and, and getting to know some of these blockers that hold people back, I think they say start with the end in mind a lot of the times, you know, whatever your big goals, whatever those massive targets you want to achieve, I think they're very important. But it does go back to just kind of taking that one step forward and gradually making improvements and, you know, breaking things down over that whatever period it is to get to that big goal. What do you want to achieve that week or that month and start seeing that incremental improvements, those moves forward? Because the confidence that comes, the uh, motivation that kind of also develops will give you the the strength to to keep going. So I I think the the piece of advice, whatever that thing your inner voice is telling you not to do, um, as long as as it's a positive thing that you want to do, uh, ignore ignore what that says, uh, tell somebody about it, take some small steps to, to move forward and, and measure it, you know, and, and give yourself some credit at the end of the week when you've made some improvements and, you know, go again. Get 1% better. <laughs> you said it. I didn't want to say it. <laughs> <laughs> well, Rob, we're so appreciative of you coming to the show. Where can people learn more about you, your work, the podcast, all the things you've going on? Yeah, the podcast is on my site, Rob of the Green, which is a whole other kind of story behind that as well. Rob of the Green dot IE. Uh, you can get all the podcasts there. I do kind of a one minute video on, a, on most Mondays as well, just one minute Monday to kind of give somebody a bit of inspiration for the week. Um, get in touch there. Rob at Rob of the Green dot IE is my email. Uh, there's a newsletter and I'm on LinkedIn under my real name, Rob O'Donoghue. Uh, haven't put anything of the of the green there yet. Um, and be delighted to hear from folks if they have any questions they would like to know a little bit more. Just get in touch. I'd love to hear from you. And, and John, thanks for the opportunity to be on your very prestigious show. Oh, gosh. Well, good. I appreciate it, man. You're, you're, you're one of the best interviewers I've ever seen. Your ability to ask good questions and be thoughtful. And uh, for anyone who wants to learn about that, just go to the 1% Better Podcast on iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts. Uh, Some phenomenal stuff. Rob, thanks for coming on the show. Delighted. Thanks, John.